Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. We're going to jump into the teach. My name's Andrew. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet you after this. Um, We are going through the book of Acts. We're back into Acts um, after a couple of weeks off. So we're talking from Acts 3 this morning. First chapter of Acts, what goes on? Well, Jesus ascends into heaven. Yeah, it's pretty cool, this, uh, this first few chapters of Acts. He's taken up to heaven. Luke sets up Acts. Luke is the author of Acts, the same Luke that wrote the book of Luke. He writes the book of Acts as well. Um, also, Matthias is chosen as 12th man, as the disciples. So he gets a run. Um, there's a few, uh, few ways of that that happens and uh, he comes forth and he makes up the 12th disciple. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down on Pentecost about 50 days later uh, after Jesus um, res- is resurrected from the cross, from the tomb, sorry, um, poor theology there. And then we're seeing 3,000 salvations on the day of Pentecost. We're seeing uh, salvations day on day as the ch- Christian community builds every day. And that's just in the space of a couple of months, two months, no more than two months. And so here we have two parts in chapter three. We have an everyday extraordinary activity that happens right outside the temple in Jerusalem. And then Peter preaches. We're going to rush through both of those parts this morning. Now in Acts, there are four, what we call um, kerygma. Kerygma is the Greek word for, thank you. And my eyes getting watery, are they? Kerygma is the Greek word for an evangelistic preach. And there is four of them all through Acts. And this is the second one that we're going to look at today. Those who love Greek, you get a little bit of Greek this morning. All right, let's go into uh, chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, One day Peter and John... We're going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. That's important. We'll come back to that. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. But then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Yeah, that's worth a woo and a clap. Thank you, Nath. Ever seen that on the building site? No? Let's expect it. (laughs) Not yet. All right, anyway. Back to it. Uh, Verse 8, he jumped to his feet. Jumped to his feet is the verb and began to walk the next verb. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. You know, whenever this passage is preached, we often look at verse 6. There's Peter saying, silver and gold I don't have, but what I give you, I give in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that's brilliant and that's powerful but I'm not even going to look at that this morning because I want to look at the other things that are very deliberate that Luke puts into this chapter and I want to look at that right now so Peter and John are doing a normal everyday Jewish activity walking to the temple in Jerusalem it is three o'clock that's prayer time they have three prayer times every day three o'clock is prayer time they're walking to the gate they're not expecting this guy to ask them for anything and so this guy is very humble um, in the way he asks he's probably looking down 
He doesn't know who's walking past. And then he looks down, but he sees feet in his peripheral vision. And he says, can I have a couple of shekels, sir? That's verbatim. Uh, anyway, was well, it shekels then? I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I'm not across Israeli currency and the history of that. They are doing an everyday Jewish activity, but then they get caught up in a Christian opportunity. Two different religions. They are Jewish men going off to do a Jewish thing and then a Christian opportunity pops up because of this man. Yeah. Um, there's a deliberate use in, this, in the words Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Not Jesus Christ our Saviour, not Jesus Christ our Lord, but there's a humanity to that that they use. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You know the guy that died on the cross 50 days ago, that bloke from Nazareth, which isn't too far from Jerusalem? I do it in the power of his name. Have a look at this. And that's what happens. That's what goes on. And so we, put, we have a look at the humanity of Jesus um, through the words of Peter, but the actions are divine. The actions are really divine, and that is, that is so topical in that time. 50 days afterwards, it's still in the news cycle. Um, the other thing is that this legitimises the Christian movement, that Jewish men were doing a Jewish thing, and then they, become, they, they come into this moment where they are able to do something miraculous for God. A lot of the miracles have been happening in house churches at this time, but this is one of the first public things that happens in a public space in one of the most busy parts in Jerusalem in the old part of the courtyards of the temple. The miracle is undeniably Christian. And here's what's important in this. The man doesn't have any attention on Peter and John, but then when Peter says, look at me, it's like hope wells up and stirs up in his body. So he looks up and this in hope that he can get something from these people because so many people would have walked past him that day, every day. He sits there every day, people walk past, might get a couple of shekels every now and again, but then people, Peter and John st walk by and they actually engage with him and he's still looking down and Peter says, look up, and he looks up. And then Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, what he does is that he holds out his hand. When God extends his grace to us as humans, he, out, he holds out his hand to us to pull us out of our humanness, to pull us out of our brokenness, to pull us out of our circumstances. And that is exactly what Peter is doing physically and also spiritually. He extends the power of Jesus into the life of this man and up he gets, a lame man from birth, up he gets because he decided to put his faith in what Peter and John could give him. It is awesome. It is absolutely awesome. And so a physical healing happens in the same moment that he receives salvation. Legs don't work. Didn't know Jesus. Hoping that the Jews could give him a couple of dollars so he could feed himself, but he gets something more. He gets something more. He gets salvation. And what I love about this is that Peter does this in such a public place and then he sees the opportunity to extend salvation and eternal life to other people and he starts preaching immediately. 
That is cool. The busiest place in Jerusalem where all the Jews go at a time where they go regularly. He decides to preach the Christian message. It's kind of like he's done this party trick and I, I, I can't get this out of my head so I'm going to share this with you. But you know Russell Crowe in Gladiator and he, he just absolutely rips through uh, animals and whatever else and he says, are you not entertained? I feel like this is what Peter does in that moment. That he's just healed someone through Jesus Christ of Nazareth but he's healed someone and then he goes, alright, I've got an audience, let's go. And so he just starts preaching. He can't help himself. He's seen thousands upon hundreds, hundreds upon thousands of salvations in the last couple of months. And he goes, all right, I'm hot with the Holy Spirit and I'm going to get into it. Now, moving on to the next verses, we're going to skip a few verses and start back at verse 12. He said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Notice that he's using the words fellow Israelites. Notice that he's saying our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's very deliberate in the way he's saying, I'm a Jew too, but I've got Jesus in me. And then he he really tees off. This is great. Verse 14, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. He's saying, how obvious is this? How obvious? Jesus Christ of Nazareth is alive. He has raised this guy onto his feet, feet that have never held his body weight. And now this man is leaping and jumping and praising God in that moment. Now, I've skipped over a key verse there, but in in about verse 10 or 11, it talks about this man actually physically holding on to Peter and John. He is just so overwhelmed at what what happened. He is just reverent of God. He just holds on to the cloak of Peter and John because he just doesn't know what to do. Maybe his legs were tired already, didn't have match fitness. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. Commentators don't know. I couldn't get into it. Anyway, all right bit of a joke there, but let's get into some heavy stuff again. Now, fellow Israelites, verse 17, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from you, uh, from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago before his holy prophets. For Moses said, he's talking to Pharisees, he's talking to Jews who would know, who would have, uh, who can memorise what have been said here in Deuteronomy 18, 15, which is what he's just about to uh, quote. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. He's now saying that now is the time for cut off. Now is a time that you Jewish people will be cut off from God because Jesus has come. Jesus is the saviour. Jesus of Nazareth is that person. He's the person that your fathers, that Moses, that all the prophets have been talking about. This is the guy. And I've just proven to you that through a miracle, 
you can receive salvation. That because you've seen a miracle, you can see that Jesus offers salvation. You know, our religiosity can remove us from just the simplicity, the simple power of the Holy Spirit. We often find that we, we think, well, maybe God won't heal someone. So I'm not going to go into that moment, that God moment. Or I don't know that people want to hear about the gospel, so I'm not going to tell them about it. But when we read these accounts, it's the same Holy Spirit in Peter, that's the same Holy Spirit that is in us today in Tamworth in 2022. If you're going to take something out of this message right now, here's this. And this is really relevant for us today. When the church is under attack, when Christians are maligned, where people say, why are are Christians not different to anyone else? We don't know about the love of God because Christians just spread hate. They cancel people out. Peter started with a loving act. Peter then extended God towards another person and then he started preaching. Don't preach first, particularly the style that Peter was doing, telling people to repent. Don't do that. Don't do that. Now the Lord might tell you and the Lord might give you an opportunity to do that, but if you're thinking about a way to do this, to reach people for God, love first. Always love first. Extend love however way you can, through hospitality, through caring, through being for someone, through acts of service, through a hug, through whatever it might be, through talking, through listening, through counselling, through prayer, whatever it might be, but extend love first so that people get a glimpse of heaven. And then that will be the attraction point to where people want to be able to be pulled into heaven and eternal life. That's the big idea. And Peter and John didn't know when they were walking to the temple that something was going to happen that day that would change the course of history, that would be written into the book of Acts, that would change a man's life forever, that would change people's um, eternal, eternal salvation forever, the ones that were looking on. They didn't know that, but in a God moment that happened, that presented, they responded to that. And that could happen to anyone at any time, on any day, in any point in history, right now. Right now. So we have a question to ask ourselves, and that is, are we going to be ready for those God moments when they do happen, when we're going about our everyday, when we're walking to, um, walking through the shops, when we're driving to work, when we're hanging out with a friend, when we've offered people um, a meal at our home, will there be a God moment there and will we be ready? Something to think about. This is a perfect segue for uh, how I'm going to start my message this morning. I'm talking about love in action um, and it's a really exciting thing to talk about. I got halfway through when I was writing some of the things and I was like, oh man, actually not so exciting. Um, so we've got that to look forward to. Um, but what if I told you this morning that I know something about you? I know that you don't do as you're told. And you just did it, so it's perfect. Half of you didn't listen to me when I got up on the microphone. I don't think you put sunscreen on when you should. I don't think you take your shoes off the door when the sign, the little pretty sign, says that you should take your shoes off the door. I know Ryan's a stickler for making sure you take your shoes off the door. Uh, You don't update your computer when it tells you for the 10th time. I reckon that's Darren for sure. His computer's at least on iOS 1. 
you don't wear masks inside when you're told to. That was me. I had a habit of not wearing my mask during COVID. And sometimes you don't even brush your teeth before bed, Grant. Yeah. In a moment, I want to show you a video, and this is my daughter, and uh, she is now 19 months old, or thereabouts, and there's many times where I tell her no, and don't do that, and she ignores me. So this particular situation, I had some wasabi peas in the afternoon, and I was chowing down, enjoying them, and she demanded to have some. And I tried to tell her, no, you don't want these. They're not nice. And she told me, no, I do. And she screamed at me and screamed at me. And I did what any dad would do. And I I, I gave in. And I said, okay. What's funny is that she actually, before this video, she'd already eaten two. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you were right. Fine. You enjoy them. Uh, And then this happened. The face of someone that should have listened. (laughs) Do you remember that when you were a kid and you knew everything? You listened only to what you wanted to? Um, Some of us still do, right? Uh, We know the right thing to do, but we choose to do what we want instead. Um, I wonder if, like me, you look back and you realise... Gee, mum and dad really did actually know what they were talking about. Wish I maybe listened a bit earlier. Let's go to the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 to 10. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. This morning, I want to talk to you about God's love and how we should respond to it as Christians, as believers. I'm not here to tell you that you don't do as you're told, but to tell you that you've actually been equipped by God to live a life of love in action through this. My hope is that maybe you can learn how to love others better and more often. That being said, some of you should just do what you're told. (laughs) Stinger. In the passage, we read, For God himself has taught you to love one another. This was referencing that God's given us his Holy Spirit, who shows us how to love one another. Uh, In Romans 5, 5 to 8, it says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came came at just the right time and died for us as sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might, might be willing to die for an upright person, though some might not perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Which brings me to point number one. God has shown us how to love in his word and through his Holy Spirit. God doesn't just tell us how to love, he shows us. Time after time we see in the Bible God pouring out love and grace on his people. There there, there is story after story where we as his people reject him, we go our own way, but God doesn't give up on us. He forgives us and he continues to pursue us. 
pursuing life with us. He showed his love when he kept giving his people chances when they rebelled and rejected him in Genesis. God showed his love when he took the children of Israel out of slavery and into the promised land, even though they complained the whole time, Exodus 3, 7 to 8. God showed his love when he gave Abraham and Sarah a child at age 100 and built a generation through them in Genesis 17. God showed his love when he promised to answer the prayers of his people in 2 Corinthians. Chronicles 7. We see his love in Psalms 23 as David talks about what God does in his life. It reads, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We see a fantastic example of how to love in John 13. Jesus gets down on his knees and he washes the feet of his disciples. After he does this, he explains to them, this is an example of what we should do for others. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. John 13, 15 to 17. Although God's love is the same through all of these passages and um, points that I've brought up, in John 3.16, there's a powerful verse that shows God, God's unlimited love in a life-changing way for you and I. It says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. It's pretty epic love, right? It's a huge sacrifice. We're called to love like God. When I read John 3, 16, I think about what God gave up and the pain that Jesus went through. I'm blown away. It's a perfect example of love without limits, and it truly is love in action. Laying down your life for others that have rejected you, beaten you, disapproved of you, spoken down to you, told you that you are a fake and rejected you, and you still offered freely to them your love. I wonder, do we love like God or do we just love until it's uncomfortable? Do we love until there's a cost and then just walk away because we're not willing to pay that cost? Or do we pay the price like Jesus did? Do we love when we are rejected or do we stop loving because of that rejection? Have we made our own rules about love or followed our ruler in how to love? 1 John 3.18 in NLT says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Love requires action. We can talk all day long, but it requires action. What are, what are your actions showing to others? This verse is a call to action. It's not something to read and move past. It's something to take hold of and use as a tool. Consider asking yourself these questions. Am I only saying words or am I taking actions? Words are essential, but they fade without action. Is my love inspirational in speech, but weak in actions? Telling people you support the poor, but avoiding the homeless man on the street. I wonder if that's something that you've experienced. Do my words say I'm with someone, but my actions say I'm too busy for them? Maybe you're catching up with them, but you're on your phone. This is a verse to keep on your fridge and remind yourself daily that love isn't just words, 
but actions. If Paul doesn't have weight in his words in Thessalonians with his call to love one another, here's a passage spoken by Jesus highlighting the importance of love. John 13, 34 to 35. I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. So you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. In this passage, Jesus says, just as I have loved you. And I think this is a perfect thing to dig deeper in and examine because we need to know how Jesus loved us because he's calling us to love like he loved us. Jesus welcomed everyone. His love wasn't limited, to by, limited by who someone was or how they looked. Jesus lived not for himself, but for others. He came to serve, not to serve, Matthew 20, 20 to 8, 28. He gave up everything, including his life, for our benefit, dying on the cross for our freedom from sin. He, will, he was willing to get dirty uh, to show his love, washing the feet of his disciples, touching and healing a leper. He was willing, he went on great journeys to meet the needs of others, healing Lazarus and preaching the gospel far and wide. To love like Christ requires to act like Christ. This commandment highlights the power of love. Here is Jesus placing the highest value on love. Why does he do this? Why does he leave us with this final commandment? Why is love so important? Growing up in church, I've seen lots of different people. I've seen many stubborn people reject words and knowledge because words and knowledge don't tend to move hard hearts. Soft hearts move hard hearts. Kindness softens the hard heart. You could sit down and argue all day long why someone should believe in Jesus. And I know that many of of us have had those conversations where we feel like we've given the information and it is so clear, but yet that person still rejects. Or you could just invite someone into your house, love them like they've never been loved before, care for them and host them like they've never been hosted before. Loving someone through action has always produced more than feeding them information for me. Love is the door for all these other things. Knowledge and understanding are important, but they're only as effective as a person's heart allows them to be. Jesus knew the way to change in this world starts with people's hearts. Often soft hearts are receptive to change and hard hearts stay where they are. As I wrap up today... I want to encourage you, let's not sit here with Bible in hand, a life full of love from Jesus, because that's what we've got. This morning as Christians, Jesus has given us an amazing love and grace. Let's not sit here and live a life filled with love from Jesus and do nothing. Let's live a life filled with love in action. I believe many non-Christians love well. You see it on Facebook. There's heaps of people paying it forward right now and doing these great things. I think we're called to do more than that. I think we're called to, to love one step further than that, further than paying it forward. I believe that Jesus sets an example that is beyond paying it forward. He showed us and called us to live a life that doesn't only give out of excess, but also gives sacrificially. A life where we see someone that can't afford their coffee and we spend our last $5, pay for their coffee, and we go without our coffee. A life where we see a young family that needs a car. This is the the scary part and we give up our second car or even our first car so they 
can live their life in and feel that need. We're called to be people that love beyond what's not normal, what's normal, not to love like others, but love unlike others. This doesn't mean giving up what we need to be able to live, but it does mean being willing to be uncomfortable so others can actually have their needs met. I'm also not saying that I live this perfectly, just like all of us, I'm on this journey and working towards what God's called me to be like and live like. Loving like God is not what's more comfortable. It's regularly what's more uncomfortable. So I think that a question we can ask in scenarios is, is this about me or is this about the person? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love isn't always about taking forward action. Sometimes love calls us to pull people up to where we are. Other times it calls us to push people further beyond where we are. Jesus is king, but did he live his life on the throne? No, he came to earth to be in our mess with us and pull us up out of our sin and into his glory. God's given us resources. We should consider our job position, our financial position, our our position with our time as an opportunity to love people further and not to further ourselves. Let me finish with this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Don't you want to invest your time into something that will last forever? I know I do. So let's recap. God has shown us how to love. His Holy Spirit is in us. It's prompting us. Who's got those prompts that you're ignoring? It's time to stop ignoring them. He's prompting us and His Word teaches us. He's shown us how to love. We're called to love like God, not like others. Not just out of excess, but out of sacrifice. You might be donating. That's great. But are you giving that out of excess? Are you, are you taking those opportunities where the Holy Spirit's prompting you to give out a sacrifice? Love requires action and love will last forever. Get uncomfortable because we're, we're, called, to be, we're called to put others before ourselves. And that's going to mean uncomfortability. What action can you guys take today? Let me pray. God, I just thank you. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you've shown us everything that we need to know about how to put your love into action through our lives. I pray this morning that you would speak to us, that we would take something home with, uh, with this and that we would act on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.